a playlist original. Hi everyone, my name is Guarda and this is the Wellness Uprising and today I'm joined by Christian Samuel. He is a lecturer at the University of Arkansas. He is a South African though. He's currently doing his PhD. Um, he's a PhD student studying health behavior and promotion. Now, thank you so much for joining us, Christian. Thank you for having me, Warda. It's great to be with you today. So the reason I've got Christian on the Wellness Uprising is I want to broaden your mind as the listener at, around what health and wellness really is. Now, we've got this very narrow understanding of when I say wellness to somebody or health, they think exercise and what I eat, nutrition. Yes, you're not wrong, but it's so much more than that. And that's why we've also delved into mental health. But there's an even broader scope that being truly healthy and living a truly healthy life and having true wellness within yourself as an individual, but in your community in our society needs to take into account. And that's what we're discussing with Christian today. Christian, this is a massive topic. And keeping in mind the intention behind this podcast being around just changing people's understanding of what true wellness is, because the diet and health and fitness industry, let's say, diet culture has very beautifully and very done a very good job of making us think that health and wellness is one thing. It's first of all, it's elitist, it's expensive, it's something that is a luxury and is not necessarily accessible to, you know, the working class. And it's not entirely the truth, right? It's definitely not the truth. I think that comes down to that very narrow definition of what health and wellness are. I think also it's really important to see that diet and exercise are obviously crucial, right? But those are right at the end of a very long chain of events that ultimately contribute towards your health. So when I say that, what I mean is that there are going to be many factors that actually affect or impact whether you're able to eat a very healthy diet or to engage in regular exercise. And sometimes we need to kind of look from a broader lens and look at those specific factors that are impacting upon your ability to exercise or upon your ability to eat five servings of fruit and veggies every day. So, you know, if we're defining health very narrowly, I think we are going to get stuck because exactly like you're saying, it's not going to be applicable to large sectors of the population, right? And so then the question becomes, what does health and wellness mean to the majority of people? I remember that there's a very old definition of health, I think from the 1940s, that was very idealistic. And in this definition of health, it said it was a total uh, absence of disease or infirmity. And we've moved away from that definition of health, really, in the academic world. And part of the reason why is because we know that that's not necessarily the case. Then many people with chronic illnesses who you, they don't have a total absence of disease, but they're living healthy lives and they're incorporating wellness into their lives. So therefore, we need, to, we need to look at health more broadly. And we can't only look at those rather proximal determinants of health, you know, right down the chain, like looking just at exercise or just at healthy eating. We need to kind of situate it more broadly within the individual's environment and looking at what else is impacting upon it. So looking at that, um, 
starting the conversation there, um, you sent me some very interesting literature, but I found it to be very, you know, it resonated a lot with me as a South African and knowing the South African context of the, your socioeconomic um, standing or situation within a community, within a country, plays a massive role in health and wellness and this congruency between a poorer community and poorer health. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And so, and then the question becomes, how does socioeconomic status affect your health, right? Obviously, it's going to affect your health in the more obvious ways that we know about, right? So whether you're able to get a gym membership or whether you're not able to get a gym membership in terms of the quality of the food you're able to purchase and, and eat. But then we also need to look at it more broadly. So if we think about contexts like South Africa, right, there's a particular historical context that we're talking about, where we're seeing that we have marginalized groups of people in society who have been historically marginalized, people of color. And then there have been people who've historically had privilege, right? And now what's really important about that is that with the marginalization or the privilege come a whole different set of values, a whole different education system, a, a whole different way of understanding health and wellness, essentially. It may also mean that for certain privileged groups in society, where they, they be racially privileged, socioeconomically privileged, it means that there was a greater focus on health and wellness simply because they had more energy to dedicate to health and wellness. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just about survival. For them, they were able to thrive in their environments. Whereas for marginalized groups in society, such as people of color in South Africa, it was more about day-to-day -day survival, right? Whether that was socioeconomic survival or whether it was not getting arrested, whatever kind of survival it was, they weren't necessarily thriving in the environment. Mm. And now we're saying to people, you know, fast forward to 2022, we're saying to people, oh, you need to thrive in your environment. You need to know all the things to do. You know, all the information is out there if you just look for it. But we're, we're kind of discounting everything that happened before. Mm. So their family patterns, you know, cultural patterns, ways of eating, beliefs about health even, you know, mm. like some families you know, maybe getting vaccinated wasn't a priority because it wasn't high up on their priority list. And also they had certain cultural or traditional beliefs about vaccination. So you may see that that has actually like, you know, stayed with the, the younger generations. So I think when we're thinking about health, and I obviously don't want to overwhelm the listeners, but what I need to make very clear is that we have to look at it more broadly. We have mm. to use these broader lenses because otherwise we're just focusing on this very narrow last part. Well, if I can just simplify it for them, when you, as you were saying that, I, I was thinking about the community that I come from, the Cape Malay community, colored community in Cape Town, where, you know, when I started embracing a healthier lifestyle and I started prioritizing exercise and I live in a different city, I live in Johannesburg and I would go home and my, obviously my lifestyle habits had changed. I'd cultivated healthier habits and I was now suddenly getting up earlier to go to gym, even though I was on holiday get up early, go and work out. I would ask my mom, can I have more greens? Can we buy more veggies? I need certain things to eat. And it would be, it would be seen as I would be cautioned. Are you not getting obsessive? This is uh, why are you eating like this unnecessary? Because culturally it doesn't form part of our culture. Like you eat veggies, but first of all, you cook it to death and you know, you, you don't exercise, you go for walks, you know, and that's about it. You know, you don't need to go every day. Whereas if you take me out of that and you bring me back to Johannesburg where I'm living in a predominantly white community, 
I get up in the morning, it's it's the norm here. You get up, somebody as old as 60, 70 years old, they running or walking in the morning. They are in the gyms. You know, it's it's a whole family comes to the gym, which is was new to me to see as a person who doesn't come from a community where that happens. So my generation, because of, like you say, uh, our socioeconomic situation has changed because now our parents have afforded us the opportunity to get tertiary education, to now become young professionals, and our income bracket is higher than what our parents were at our age. We are now being exposed to that kind of, of lifestyle. So our lifestyle is very different to our parents. And they, you get questioned on it and you it kind of doesn't make sense to them. So I don't know if that might put it into context what you've said, because that's what came to mind for me in my personal situation. Absolutely. I think that's, thank you for sharing that because I think that is so, so relevant because I think there's another really crucial element to what you're saying as well is that, so yes, maybe you're in an environment where you understand the benefits of exercise, you're easily able to access opportunities for exercise, you've changed your diet, but culturally you come from a very different cultural world, right? Mm. And I think what's really important for people from communities of color is that oftentimes when they engage in those healthier behaviors, they can even be seen as traitors to their own community. You know, so we've heard it many times before that why are you acting so white now? you know because you're trying to adopt certain healthier behaviors and it's actually seen as incongruent with the cultural values of your community people don't understand it because it's not what they've been exposed to and it was never seen as necessary for health from their community's perspective right yeah and also it's just so strange and I don't know if it's like that in other um, BIPOC communities around the world but when I sit around um, our community and and my family speaking about your ailments is seen as like a rite of passage like it's, it's part of getting old you you meant to get sugar which is diabetes you meant to have heart issues you meant to have some you you've you meant to by this point have gone under the knife for something you know and you you kind of share war stories in a sense like oh you've got that i've got this i'm on this tablet oh you on a water pill oh i'm on this and it's kind of seen like now you that age and now you're in that that age group and this is part of it. And to now, so now you're like this fish out of water and you're listening to this conversation, part of the community, but also sort of like awakened out of that mindset. And it seems, are you guys really comparing this and kind of proud, sort of proud of your stories? Because now it's like I'm also part of this elderly community now. But totally, yeah, totally. And, I don't know if that makes sense. Like, that's it makes just... so much sense because also it's kind of what you're speaking to, I think, is also what is the norm in that community and what is the standard by which other individuals are judging themselves by, right? So um, I know a, a family of color, um, they, they have specific eating patterns and so forth. And many of the, the, the members of this family have diabetes, um, they are obese, but that is the norm for them in their family. 
and the way in which they consume food, the way in which they prepare food, their rituals around eating, um, it's very much seen as that is their family practice, that is their traditional and cultural, those are their practices. So for them to change that, like, you know, their deep fried foods and, you know, the, the amount of calories in their food, or to even watch what they eat, that notion is quite foreign to them because that's not the norm for them. Mm. So I do think it's so important to have this discussion because I think often what happens is you get very well-meaning professionals, health professionals, right? Or um, trainers, um, exercise professionals, nutritionists, dietitians, etc. Very well-meaning. And they want to intervene with certain communities. Let's say, for instance, a community of color. And they're not looking at the socio-historical um, kind of context of that community. They're not looking at all of the important factors that have impacted that community. They're not considering... Um, traditions, cultures, socioeconomic status, um, level of nutritional literacy within their community, right? Uh, so I think what, we, what we're really saying is that if you kind of give people this prescription to exercise five times a week, to eat these healthy foods, to have a diet that's high in fiber, et cetera, and you don't situate it within the context of that person's life, you're actually, you're missing out a massive part of understanding what wellness means to that person, what health means to that person, and also, you're really missing out an, in, an opportunity to change that, right? Because we kind of have to work with people where they are. We can't kind of work with them where we are and hope to kind of drag them there. And I think that's where this conversation becomes really important. I, I agree with you completely because, I mean, when I speak to people as well and lots of more seasoned fitness professionals even will say, um, don't make wholesale changes. It's the first mistake people make when they try and, you know, change habits, make small changes. So when I tell people, they say to me, oh, Wadra, I want to change things. Give me some advice. I say, sleep more and drink more water because it's something that you can do immediately. It's something you can implement immediately and it has massive changes. It can have huge implications or uh, positive um, knock-on effects when you make these simple changes. And I think it's the minute you tell people and especially, like, again, coming back to my community, no, 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 you must cut out the samosas, you must cut out the, the cook sisters, you must cut out the soft drinks and whatever. And then they're like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. No, no, no. Rice, potato, no, I can't do that. I mean, those are staples. All our traditional foods are made with rice and potatoes. And, you know, so I think you got to kind of meet people, like you say, halfway and, in fact, I would go even further in saying, and I'm trying to start this, you know, this mindset change with my social media posts is that you don't need to abandon your traditional foods in order to be healthy. You just need to make tiny little adjustments to the perhaps the recipe that your grand would have made. So instead of using, I don't know, half a cup of oil, maybe use two, three tablespoons of oil, for example. Instead of using double cream in a but in a butter chicken, use plain yogurt. So that's practical things. You're still eating what you grew up with, but you're just changing it, adjusting it slightly to make it a little bit more um, health focused. I love what you're saying. I love what you're saying partly because I also feel like a lot of the focus in terms of health and wellness 
tends to come from a largely Western perspective, right? So if we think of the types of exercise that we're encouraged to do, if we think about the type of diet that we that is seen as healthy, you know, if you say to me, well, you could make this incredible salad, you know, you know, in my culture, salads may not be such a massive thing. Like you're saying, we, you know, rice, potatoes, and so forth, those are like staple foods. So if you're trying to encourage me to be healthier, but the cultural lens you're using is primarily a white Western cultural lens, and you're not in any way acknowledging my culture, I think that becomes really challenging. Mm. And we're talking mainly in terms of physical health and in terms of nutrition and exercise, but the same applies to mental health as well. Because oftentimes, you know, we try and take these kind of very Western frameworks in terms of understanding mental health, right? So many of the psychological theories, which let's face it, come from white men, okay, working in the West in a very specific time, okay. Mm. And now we're trying to take these frameworks and adapt them for people who've had completely different lives, for people who've suffered from racial oppression, gender oppression, you know, various forms of oppression and have all of this historical trauma. And now we're trying to superimpose this mental health lens from the West, um, you know, and like I said, a very specific time, usually like, you know, around 1940s, 50s, 60s, we're trying to take these ideas and superimpose them onto people living in a completely different context with completely different life experiences. And then we kind of wonder, okay, wh why are these interventions? Why is this type of therapy not working for this person? But it's not acknowledging where the person comes from and who the person is. But also, like, to add to that as well, like, if I look at a lot of the, the health books that I've bought, self-help books by, you know, influencers, fitness professionals and health professionals that I admire. First of all, all these people are white women. And if you just scratch beneath the surface or not even beneath the surface, you look at their posts, you can see they wealthy white women. They, you know, some of them, both of them actually don't have kids. So they don't, and they're wealthy, so they don't work a nine to five, really. Mm -hmm. They don't have children, so therefore they don't have a little human, you know, controlling their schedule. So when you read the book and you read it with that context, it's, you know, unwind at night, switch your phone off at this time, take a long bath. And now immediately you've lost a huge part of the population because now they go, well, I can't take a long bath. Are you crazy? I've got two kids to bath. I've got to feed them. Then I've still got to get back to my work that I didn't finish at work or, you know, so you, you're just excluding people by simply using your frame of reference and going, yeah, this is health. So you must do this. Whereas it's not always applicable to most people. Like you say, if you're coming from a white supremacist, patriarchal mentality of looking at health and now you're telling somebody who lives in a township maybe or works 12, 14 hour days to now come home and A, go to gym. Okay, I can't afford gym, so now that's out. Um, to eat uh, chicken breast and broccoli. Um, I'm not going to eat that. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I want carbs. Because obviously now, going back to now just health, fitness, nutrition stuff, if you're working long hours, you're staying up late, chances are you're not getting enough sleep. When you have lack of sleep, your body tends to crave sugars and carbs because it needs energy. So you, the last thing you want to do, like you say, is eat a salad. You don't want a salad. Yeah. You want comfort Definitely food. Not. 
Yeah. Definitely not. And and I think this is so important and this is so crucial is that health shouldn't be seen as a privilege, right? And oftentimes, you know, when we when we view health in that that kind of way where it seems like it's only for the privileged few, then it comes down to talking about health as though it's this commodity that only some people can afford, right? Only those people who have access to the gym, only those people who can see a therapist. This is something that that bothers me quite often these days is that oftentimes when we talk about mental health, we talk about going to therapy. Now, I have nothing against going to therapy. I think going to therapy is wonderful. But let's be honest. Firstly, going to therapy, the notion of going to therapy is an incredibly Western construct, right? Okay, mm. very much popularized from the United States um, and, and some other Western countries, but it's a very Western construct, right? That whole idea, that whole psychodynamic laying on the couch kind of, you know, let's delve into, you know, all of your traumas and so forth. If, if you think about just that picture in your mind is a very Western picture, you know, um, the male psychoanalyst sitting and trying to delve into your thoughts. So there's that element, but there's also the element of actually in many instances, therapy is unaffordable for most people. Even people who are earning a relatively good salary, it's it's oftentimes unaffordable. And it's oftentimes the thing that would be deprioritized or go to the bottom of the list, right? Yes. And even if you look at healthcare, healthcare, a medical aid, a medical aid in general won't pay indefinitely for, for, for therapy sessions. They'll pay for maybe your first four sessions. And then after that, it's all up to you. You need to be able to afford those those payments. Exactly. And that's the case here in the US as well, is that either they won't pay for all the sessions or you'll have a copay and the therapy sessions are expensive, right? So like I say, once again, I'm not slamming therapy at all. I think it's highly beneficial and incredible. But when we just say, you know, as a panacea, just go to therapy for anybody who is struggling with their mental health, then we're not really kind of considering the socioeconomic factors, the broader structural factors, because what does it actually take for that individual to go to therapy? I also think as part of the conversation, to refer back to what we were saying earlier, is in their culture, where they come from, and how they view problem, mental health problems and, you know, stress and so forth and dealing with stress or talking about one's emotions, is that, would that be seen as acceptable in their community to go and speak to a total stranger about their innermost feelings and their concerns and be vulnerable in that situation? Because in many communities, that would actually not be seen as appropriate, right? No, of course. I mean, I'm on an um, Islamic ladies um, community group. And when there are requests on there, because people will ask, do you have a referral of a, psych- a pediatrician or this or that, uh, a repairman or whatever? Sometimes people will say, I'm looking for a psychologist, but a Muslim psychologist. Mm-hmm. So they also see there's this mistrust that a, a, a non-Muslim psychologist will lead me astray, will give me the wrong advice as a Muslim woman, as a Muslim person. Yes. So there's that, deep mistrust already but so now it's like okay we're opening up we kind of open to going for therapy but we're not yet comfortable enough to go to any therapist it needs to be someone from our community that understands our context and that's not going to give me advice that is un-islamic in air quotes 
Absolutely. Um, and somebody yeah. who understands me, understands my culture, understands my traditions, understands, you know, my modesty around certain issues or my, you know, willingness or unwillingness to engage with certain issues. And I think this is so important, this conversation. We need to be having it because here what you see is, as you're saying, somebody might be willing to go to therapy, but then they actually want to meet a therapist who somehow represents them. That may be from a religious point of view. It may be from a racial point of view. It may be from a sexuality point of view. And here I feel is where the system fails us because why aren't we training more therapists of color, more Muslim mm. therapists, more, um, you know, therapists of diverse sexualities. And so ultimately we still see that predominantly most therapists, most psychologists, psychiatrists are white. Mm. Right. And this you see like in, in contexts such as the US, the UK, South Africa, Australia. I mean, this is just a, a global issue in many ways, right? Mm. Many times we're not seeing people of color going to those professions and things are slowly changing in some contexts, but it is slow change. Yes. So, okay. So we've, we've discussed all the, the challenges around health and wellness. We want to obviously leave listeners with a way forward, sort of some sort of way out of this. So how does one you know, navigate your way through this, knowing that now, okay, I understand now based on this podcast and the ones I've, I've listened to up to, to now that health and wellness and true wellness doesn't necessarily have to cost you money, um, can be a lot simpler than diet culture and the diet industry has made us believe it is. Um, but how do I find my version of wellness with you know, wherever I sit in the in a community from a socioeconomic situation, what's the way forward? What would be your suggestion? I think that's a great question. And I think it goes back to a lot of what you were saying earlier in terms of firstly, it needs to start simply. OK, so it, it doesn't need to be these big moves. They can be very small moves that are moving you closer to wellness and to health. So, so that's really just taking a step in the direction of health and wellness and specifically what that may look like for you in your context, right? So what it means is not develop, divorcing yourself from your culture, your context, your socioeconomic considerations, but instead saying, how are ways that I can integrate small bits of wellness, small bits of health into my everyday life and that are not incongruent with the life that I'm living now? Because we know from the literature, we know from research that if you do it in that way, you're more likely to sustain those behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're not so foreign to you. They're not something that you're leaping to. It's something that you're gradually building up to. And so we know that in terms of the, both the initiation and the sustenance of the behave, those behaviors, we're going to see that over time, they, they're more likely to be sustained. So like you were saying early on, you know, when somebody says to you, how can I become healthier? You give them very small, very doable recommendations that suit that person's life, right? Mm, yeah. Taking into account the factors that are impacting them. So do they have kids? What are their working hours like? And so forth. So this is why I'm very much a big fan of tailoring any health behaviors to your lifestyle. Right. I, I completely, we were singing from the same hymn sheet here because I believe that as well. I don't believe in you know, a one size fits all. So it's, it's very, it's highly pro problematic. And I'm so glad, like, you know, personal trainers and dietitians are kind of starting to see a way to move forward together. Obviously, there's lots of work still to be done. There's a lot of 
fitness influencers and and fitness professionals that are still die that are still selling generic health plans and eating plans and stuff, which mm-hmm. is highly problematic because the way I eat and what my nutritional requirements will be very different to yours because we live very different lives. Our activity levels are totally different. Our bodies are different. Our requirements yeah. are different. So you, you, like you say, you have to tailor it to your, to your body and how you work. And if I can just give people some context, the irony is that what Christian has been saying about making small, simple changes that you can do that is not div- completely divorced from your culture and your background. If you look at countries in the blue zone, so the blue zones are areas of the world where people have had the highest levels of health and wellness and also um, longest lifespan. And surprise, surprise, there are no gyms in these areas which people aren't going to gym five times a week. They are not, um, you know, following any fad diet. They don't even know what keto is and um, high carb, low carb, intermittent fasting. They know nothing of this. They're just living simple lives. So these are places like Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia and Italy, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Icaria, Greece, Loma Linda in, in California. So these are areas. And I mean, there's a documentary, amazing, um, episode on Netflix that Zach Efron did on this documentary that I forget the name of the documentary, but if you put in Zach Efron's name on, um, Netflix, you'll find it. We actually visited Sardinia and it's a small town. The, the, the secret to, to, to people being healthy there, you know what? They eat their carb to protein ratio is not what diet culture has told us. Oh, carbs are bad. These people are eating pasta every day. They're making pasta from scratch, but that's the key word. They're preparing their food from scratch. There are no, uh, fast food. So they already, there's something we can all adopt. Maybe try and eat one less meal of fast food a week and reduce that amount down. Number one. These people are walking a little bit more. That's the exercise. And they, they stay busy that the, the, the elderly people in this community, and they're not just old, but they mentally sharp. They are a sharp, sharp, sharp. They have not lost their, their mental ability. They're very independent. So these are simple things that these people are doing. Like Christian has been saying, not making massive changes. They don't have monthly gym memberships. They don't own uh, yoga leggings they don't know what gym clothes are that they've never probably worn it ever in their lives but it's simple little things that they do that everyday part of their life that is causing them to live a good quality of life that is not complicated absolutely it, it it's simple it's easy to do it's very well integrated with the rest of their life mm. right and i think that's the key i think the documentary you're thinking about is down to earth with that yes yes that's yes. it that's it <laughs> yeah um so i think for me so much of what you're saying is exactly you know what i would say to somebody who wants to be healthier i would say is how do you situate it within your lifestyle how do you make it work for you And how does it fit in with everything else that you're doing, right? So ultimately, we we almost need to think of health as along a continuum. So it's not that you're healthy versus unhealthy. You can be moving towards health and you can be taking steps there. So we Mm. can be moving away from unhealthier behaviors and moving towards more healthful or healthier behaviors. Mm. 
I also think I will um, just quickly comment on social media and the resources from like YouTube and from Instagram and TikTok and so forth. I'll say, I think that in some ways, you know, they can be both a blessing and they can be a curse, right? So let's say for somebody who doesn't have access to a gym, but they're able to go onto YouTube and watch a 15 minute workout and that's all they're able to do. I think that's wonderful because mm. it's kind of start meeting them where they're at or they're able to watch an influencer on TikTok and learn a simple exercise routine, right? I think that's great. I think what I will say is that people shouldn't necessarily have these very unrealistic um, kind of aspirations to, you know, transforming their body or, or anything along those lines that they may see on social media, where I think it's very helpful is that it can be integrated into your life in a very easy, doable way. And it does give you ideas and suggestions if you don't have a personal trainer, yeah. if you don't have a nutritionist. So I think that's great. But I think you almost just need to modify your expectations around what the end results are going to be so that you don't feel hopeful and then you give up. I mean, mm -hmm. hopeless and then you give up when you when you're not seeing the results right i feel my my rule of thumb my advice to people would be on this and i mean i i i spoke to a personal trainer in um on one of these episodes where she even said your best friend is youtube you know that's how she first started learning and sort of piqued her interest but i would say check the credentials of the person you're taking fitness and wellness and nutrition advice from there are lots of qualified highly educated professionals that have YouTube channels, have TikToks, have Instagram. So follow dietitians, registered dietitians, follow medical doctors, follow people that have qualifications in fitness. And rule of thumb, if someone is telling you to avoid something completely, avoid a macronutrient, say, don't eat this, carbs are bad, don't eat it. You should, warning bells, there should be red flags going off like, okay, I like this person, I like their content, but I'm going to take it with a pinch of salt and I'm going to go research this and go find proper research papers. And that's all online, proper research so that you're not getting taken in by bro science, like I like to call it, people giving you health and fitness advice based on um, anecdotal um, information and rather and not on, you know, empirical evidence, research, scientific research that has like real um validity behind it so i would just say that otherwise yes by all means i mean it's that's the amazing thing about social media is that we can we have access to professional doctors psychologists psychiatrists um fitness professionals that really know their stuff for no price at all you know just the wi-fi membership yeah wi-fi connection completely and like you're saying like you know use it but use it in a in a kind of more aware way mm. and in terms of how you approach it look at all of those factors like credentials and so forth but nonetheless I think that that's also one of the strategies where you can you know integrate healthful behaviors into your life in mm. a smaller way at little to no cost and mm. there is a way for you to kind of access that world of information that world of health behavior I actually just got to thinking, I, I just, I don't know why I thought about it, but we were saying, we were talking about um, the people in Sardinia and in Okinawa in Japan. And, you know, these are small, these are villages, smaller cities aside from the big cities. So I think the big challenge comes with us living in the inner city, because if I can just localize this to a South African context, I was lucky enough to do some work and travel through Mtata, which is 
a very rural part of South Africa in the Eastern Cape. And it's this beautiful part of the country, rolling green hills. You see a hut every few kilometers. But these people are actually living no different to the people in Sardinia or in Okinawa. You want milk, you go to the backyard, you go milk your cow. You Mm -hmm. want veggies, you are growing your veggies organically. Mm -hmm. You want lamb or beef, you're going to slaughter a cow or a sheep or whatever and eat the meat that you've slaughtered. You you haven't injected antibiotics into that animal. That animal is living grass-fed. Like you get sold this expensive grass-fed beef in the shops and it comes at a premium cost. There are people that are seen as from the lower income bracket that are actually living a much better quality of life than us in the inner city. Sometimes we just need to sometimes simplify and think about how our moms and dads and grandparents who live in these small villages are living and try our best to to sort of adopt and hold on to a little bit of our culture and the, 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 the gems in it. Because I mean, if you just look at us, Christian, we come from Indian slash um, South Asian community, and we've always known the benefits of turmeric. Yes, been in our in our community for years, and yeah. now it's a thing. Golden yes. milk, this the da da da. So let's not also go like, oh, let's sort of, you know, put away our otherness from our community. In fact, there's lots of beautiful. Um, traditions and things that we've grown up with generationally. I mean, the benefits of dates. I've grown mm-hmm. up with eating dates since, yay. I actually, when you're newborn, they give you a date when they give you your name as part of the ceremony. And now they're saying, oh, there's so much benefit to dates and the, the, the nutritional value of that. So I think look towards your community first. Yes. Take the gems, take the, take the amazing things, that the wisdom that is in the way we eat culturally. And then perhaps look and see what doesn't work, what works, and mm-hmm. add in and take away. But there is a lot to celebrate within our own context, wherever you're sitting in the world, whatever culture you come from. Very much so. And there's often, I think, this false dichotomy that, you know, Western ways of thinking, eating, exercising are healthier than more traditional cultural ways. And that's so not true, exactly like you're saying. I think oftentimes, we we get these notions that all of our traditional, because we know that there's certain aspects of like, let's say traditional foods that may be unhealthy, but then it almost gives us that notion that it's all unhealthy and all yeah. of those behaviors are unhealthy. But that's the, that's that, the diet culture. That's the diet culture, yeah. um, you know, marketing machine that's been, yes. that's been subtly indoctrinating us from a very small age. Mm-hmm. You know, that health looks a specific way. I mean, I played with a Barbie doll with a little tiny waist and big yes. boobs and, you know, this little long legs and beautiful long blonde hair. And that was the image of beauty to me growing up as a little girl. So, you know, we, we've all been subtly being sipping on this Kool-Aid from very young. So, and we don't realize how much it's affected our entire understanding of who we are as individuals. Absolutely. So I think ultimately, I think I would say, you know, it's it's also about then expanding our definition of what health and wellness are. You know, 
if you think about your life, are you functionally able to do everything that you need to do? Are you able to do it in a way that has maximum energy, maximum joy, you know, maximum utility value for your actions? So if we broaden our definition of health, we see that not all of us are necessarily planning on running 10 kilometers. Not all of us are trying to be professional athletes, etc. So then health takes on a different meaning in the context of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have enough energy to chase your kids around the living room when they want to play with you? Do you have enough, do you not feel groggy at work in the morning? You know, so health actually needs to be viewed, not necessarily looking to that ideal of almost like Western perfection, let's call it that, Mm -hmm. right? An elitist elitist Elitist. perception of of, of health as well. And I mean, if we, and I don't want to go into this because it's an entirely different topic, but this whole notion of perfectionism is also a Western construct. It, it yes. serves no purpose in, you know, in everyday society. And it will not make sense to a person of color because, you know, we, we just don't operate that way. You know, things aren't perfect all the time. Just in the human context as a, in general, whether whatever color, shape, size you are, but the idea of perfectionism is is not true and it's something that we should not be measuring our health to because health goes through seasons right our weight goes through seasons and you you don't have to look the same every 365 days of the year you your weight will fluctuate and that's okay it's okay Absolutely. And you are not a number on a scale, right? Mm, you mm. are so many other things. You are how you feel about your body. You're, like, you're about, you know, how much energy does my body have and, and so forth. So it, it, I think what you're saying is, is about that perfection element, but it's also about this externalizing constantly, right? Mm. Uh, you know, trying to, to bring it down to a number on a tape measure or a number on a scale or, or a certain um, physical attribute that is seen as desirable or attractive, you know, what is your inner experience of that? I think it's also really important, you mm. know, like, do you have energy to climb the flight of stairs or do certain activities bring you joy? Because that is also part of health and wellness. And that's often the part that we don't really talk about. We're mm. often looking at the numbers, counting the calories, you know, looking at the number of kilometers you can run as opposed to actually, well, what is the inner experience of doing that? Does mm. it bring you joy? And does it once again fit into the context of your life? And I mean, we've, we've, we've spoken about a beautiful topic here. And just to close this, this podcast episode, what we want to leave you with and what I want to leave you with after hearing all of this is don't necessarily discredit whatever your culture, wherever you come from. Don't discredit that. Still embrace it. Be who you are. And that can still fit very comfortably within living a healthy lifestyle. Don't let diet culture and the the diet industry make you feel as if wherever walk of life you come from, it doesn't fit into what health and fitness is and wellness is, because that is a very obtuse way of looking at wellness. And it was, it it's convenient when you're trying to churn out products and sell stuff and market things. It's, it's easier and more efficient to sell you one idea and make you think that this is the idea of health. You fit into this. If you don't fit into this, there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G of products that you can buy in order to fit into this. It's perfect marketing sense. But in the real context of what wellness is, it it makes no sense. <laughs> so let's I couldn't agree more. Yeah, let's leave it there. Um, Christian is it was so amazing to have you. Christian Samuel is 
a lecturer at the University of Arkansas and a PhD student studying health, behavior, and promotion. Where can people access you and your work? And because I know you write articles all the time and you are discussing and, you know, delving into this topic a lot more. And there's a lot to digest on this. So if we've piqued people's interest, where can they learn more about this? I would say Twitter would be the best place. And that's just at Christian Samuel on Twitter. Okay, cool. So follow Christian on at Christian Samuel on Twitter and get to hear some more. And then also Google this, um, this topic. Think about health behavior and, you know, how it fits into the intersectionality within your community, within your culture and, and, and look into that, you know, speak to your, your elders, you know, listen to them. Cause like we said, in our culture, we grew up with, it wasn't like even a thing like, yeah, turmeric, you use it for this, you use it for that. And, and now it's suddenly a thing within the culture and it's expensive and, you know, where it's always been there part of your culture. So find the gems that sit within your culture, within your community and celebrate that, celebrate who you are. Thank you so much, guys. We'll, we'll catch you again in the next episode.